Welcome to the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Sanders, physical therapist, and together I hope we can explore the best ways to stay fit, healthy, and active as busy adults. We all have a lot on our plate. So what is the most efficient way to exercise, eat, sleep, and train in order to continue to do the activities we love well into our future? I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This is the Fit for Tomorrow podcast, your home for everything physical therapy and the start to your road to recovery. For more information, visit our website at fitforfunction.com and schedule your free over-the-phone consultation. Once again, that is P-H-Y-T for function.com. And here's your host, Dr. Nick Sanders. All right, guys, thanks for joining us. I'm, of course, Nick Sanders, uh, physical therapist with Fit for Function and the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm here with Bethany Searle today. We're going to talk about running and rehab and injury prevention and, and some of those cool things that she's doing at her clinic. Uh, so, Bethany, thanks for joining us. You want to introduce yourself and tell us a little about what you do? Happy to be here. I'm Bethany Searle, as you said. I'm a physical therapist and owner of Physio 330. I'm located in Cuyahoga Falls, and I also do some virtual and concierge medicine, go to where you are. Um, I, uh, Historically speaking, I've done a little bit of post-operative rehab. I was in some sports medicine. I got a little bit more recently into manual therapy and strength and conditioning on my own, um, but born and raised in Akron, Ohio, and love this area. We've got some really cool things going on. It's so interesting to me. I wonder if other parts of the country are the same way. But like, I grew up in the suburbs of Youngstown, right? And everybody, like Youngstown, right? We went to Youngstown State, and they always talk about Youngstown. Akron is the same way. Like, Akron is very, if you're from Akron, you got an in. Yes, born and raised. I also don't know how you guys, yeah, I feel like Akron claimed the 330 area code. Yes. But it's it's Youngstown too. Oh, it's everything. That's what, so it's funny. But Akron claimed it. I was coming uh, kind of brand uh, work with a friend of mine. She owns a winery in Youngstown. And she was saying, oh, Physio 330, it's it's cool. It rhymes. It's cheeky. But are you worried that people from Youngstown are going to want to come see you? And I was like, no, 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 no. It's an Akron thing. Like the dirty 330, that's Akron. <laughs> and then, yeah. So I was trying to look for like in Ohio and then get the 330 cut out in a graphic and that's too far away. <laughs> too, too far to go. Um, which winery? Uh, Luva Bella Winery. Oh, very nice. Marissa Sergi. She's awesome. Incredible. She's like one of those 30 under 30 people. Go check her out. She's got Purple Rain wine. and I've been there. Brands. It's awesome. I've been there. My uncle lives like up the road five minutes. I love wine. it. So I've been there. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> That's 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 also a Youngstown, Northeast Ohio thing, right? Where do you live? Where do you eat? Um, mm-hmm. Where do you drink your alcohol? Um, yes. <laughs> so how, how business is how old now? It's, oh, it's brand, brand new. new. Where are we at? Yeah. So April 1st was really day one. Um, it's been incredible. The support in the community is just mind blowing. We are lucky in that if you know one person and you ask the right three questions, you know, 15 of the same people. So when someone is searching for a very particular service, um, it kind of snowballs out of control when you do a really good and passion filled thing. So uh, people like you and physio ortho perform having sort of bridged 
the gap from traditional insurance-based physical therapy and having people trust the cash-based model, I am indebted to you because you you sort of helped people see the yeah. value in that. So thanks. Yeah, it's so cool to see so many more uh, PTs and, and chiropractors going that route of hey, there's value to one-on-one time and being actually talk to a provider versus kind of getting run through the system. Um, And and I think it's becoming more and more uh, accepted in in the community. And and that's awesome to see. Um, And like I said, there's a whole crew of us now. So that's that's even better. Yes. And it's very community. So I, I was worried that there would be like a oh, she's coming in on our turf. But there are so many people in Akron and we all do different things. So yeah, we do the same thing, but we all help different people and know different things. <clears throat> I, I just went to um, uh, the um, that RPR seminar at CrossFit Soul. And um, Mike Pavick said it the best. He said, I was at a race and I knew like 10 people there and there's thousands of people. So I think, I think we're going to all be okay. Oh, um, absolutely. And that was really cool, right? Alex Bue put it on, a chiropractor in Hudson. And uh, Janine Laughlin was there with Healthy Core and Wellness. And yes. you know, Mike Pavlik. And it was just like the whole crew of people was there. And it was mm-hmm. uh, just kind of nice to see everybody doing their thing. And, and Clint, of course, at CrossFit Soul put it, puts it all together. He's, he's the man over there. So that's cool. Oh, we're lucky. Yeah, a lot of good people in town. So your specialty is at least kind of when I talk to people that have worked with you, it seems to be runners, right? That's kind of your, um, whether you ask for it or not, seems to be your niche. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I, how'd I you am get into that world? Yeah, how'd you get into that world and, and um, why so specialize in that? The pandemic really, I think, set me up for that. There were a lot of people who gyms shut down. And so they had their spin bike or their trainer at home and they had tennis shoes and I'm going to get back to running because it's all I have. So that was a transition where a lot of people were starting something new that they kind of got into quick, too fast, too intense. And we're like, oh, well, I played soccer in high school. Let's go do a couple of 730 miles. So there were a lot of overuse injuries during the pandemic. And that's sort of where a lot of volume was coming in last year. So I think that's how I got kind of known for that is um, I was connected with a bunch of Akron running groups. So um, I, I personally run, so it, it's helpful when people mm-hmm. come in to see me, I can ask the questions of training volume, training intensity, workout variability, shoes, all this stuff that someone who doesn't run might hear people talk about their weeks and be like, you're nuts. <laughs> um, because unless you, you do it, it's easy to judge to say, well, it hurts run less. So I also just think I had a unique experience of, I had done a couple of marathons. I love half marathons. And, and last year I was, that was what I do. It's six days a week and there's big groups all around the area, Portage Lakes running club. We are kind of everywhere. So it was easy to say, Oh, your knees hurting on this run and we have an hour left. Let's chat about it. So right. I think having people see me sort of nerd out when I would hear about, oh, that's not normal and you shouldn't run through that and and see me light up when I would try and troubleshoot a problem on a run. It was just gravity. Yeah. I, I mean, that comes across very quickly. Like if somebody's talking about a subject and they don't know, they don't really know it, like you can <laughs> tell real quick who's authentic and who's not. And um, it, it's 
you know, as somebody looking out, looking for an expert to help them with something, that's invaluable, right? I mean, obviously, as as therapists, we know the body, you know, movement and that kind of stuff in, in a general sense. But there's so many layers to the different things that that you want to make sure you find somebody that knows your knows your, your what you're doing and, and has practiced that craft. Yes. So, um, injuries and in runners, right? I mean, you can find peer review studies look at the frequency of injuries and in runners and new runners and 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 seasoned runners alike. Um, why do you think? I'm going to ask a two part question here. Why do you think injury rates are high with runners? And then to kind of piggyback on, on what you just said, how, how often do you see runners pushing through injuries that maybe they shouldn't or are dealing with something that, that maybe they haven't had addressed? Ooh, those are good ones. I'll try and be succinct because I, (laughs) I could go on tangents with both of those. So why do I think runners get hurt or why do I think runners what like what happens is this false sense of fitness is a big one people are running easy but they aren't really gauging their effort accurately so someone comes in and they're like oh well I just went out on a six mile easy run and then I start talking about okay how did this feel and what was your breath rate and can you talk or what was your heart rate on your watch or your chest strap and and unless you're guiding training with a coach or or your own monitoring of metrics I think it's really easy to okay I'm not sprinting and then you, you chunk yourself into easy moving. So more often than not, it's you're running too hard, too much with good intentions. So most running injuries turn out to be overuse or intensity volume weekly being too much too fast. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting that you started with intensity. Um, I think a lot of times we think about, you know, volume and adding a small percentage each time as you're building your volume. Mm-hmm. How do you delineate intensity versus volume and in, in how you think it relates to injury in running? So my, one of my first questions in an eval with runners is how much are you running? How, how long have you been running that much? And what's changed in the last three to four weeks? So if I just gauge that, I miss so much. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, I've been running 25 miles a week for the last three years. Nothing's changed. But then you've got to pick it apart. So is terrain different? Is your effort hard? Um, Are you in different um, surfaces? Are you on trails or road or towpath? Or was there a huge rain and the towpath is full of divots and now you're really on a trail, even though it's a flat surface? So maybe just instead of thinking intensity, heart rate, thinking uh, any variable being a part of it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love that. And um, I don't look like a runner, but I've done some running. I actually did a year cross country. Uh, ah. Yeah. Done a couple of half marathons. Um, I tend to focus more on the speed game, like the sprinting mechanics and the faster stuff tends to be huh. what, what I end up seeing more of, but um, still do some endurance things. And I think whether you're talking endurance running or you're talking like, crossfit kind of stuff or or just general fitness i think the other question that gets over maybe missed is uh what's happening in life 
right? Like, oh, I've been running the same mileage, but recently I took a new job or I haven't slept or I was on vacation or I feel like just such a high percentage of the injuries I see are are based around some other life stressor that absolutely then we don't make it you don't make any adjustments to your training program because you're on whatever program. Yeah. And instead of saying, well, hey, I've only slept three hours. (laughs) Right. I've only slept three hours this week, five days in a row, but I'm still trying to put in X number of miles. Yeah. Man, I think I I don't know how you I don't know how you factor that in. Like, I think there's companies that are trying to do it, like your whoop bands and your aura rings and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, is there something that you use or, or use with your runners, your endurance athletes? So Garmin's are wonderful. There's mm-hmm. kind of a running joke. Uh, it's funny. Running joke. Running running joke. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's, <laughs> we just make fun of Garmin because Garmin's kind of sassy. So you have a training status. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but it says maintaining. So a lot of times if you have a workout where you're working too much or you didn't sleep or your resting heart rate's higher or whatever, it'll say either overreaching or overtraining or recovery or peaking. So there is sort of a general metric that if you have a Garmin watch, you can pay some attention to, but it's, it's only as valuable as what you're paying attention to. So like mine roughly t- tracks how long I'm still overnight. So I can track how many hours I was sleeping. It's kind of accurate. Um, but resting heart rate is huge. So one, one thing that I like tracking is how many runs you're doing per week, resting heart rate, heart rate average during your runs. So if you're doing all of your runs at 180 beats per minute, like too much, too much hard effort, you right. got to, unless unless you're a track athlete, you might be doing track workouts at that. But if you're working on 10 K half marathon, marathon distance, way too hard. Um, but another, there's sort of, I mean, it's kind of like the whoop band, but I have a radial pulse tracker. So it's, mm-hmm. it's only so, so accurate. If you're working out with the chest strap, it's a little more accurate, but it's a body battery. And so if you have junky sleep and, you wake up, it, you, you might not be charged 100%. So if you're starting the day at 40%, is that really the day to go to CrossFit, do a four-mile run, and work all day, and then go have a couple beers with your friends? So if you if you pay attention to that sort of big picture and look at a couple metrics, I think that's going to give you the best picture of readiness to perform or um, amount of recovery in between efforts. Yeah, that's interesting. Um so that does not do, I'm just curious about the Garmin. Does that do heart rate variability? Cause I know that's the whoop and the aura ring is all about heart rate. I want to say that there is a brand or a, there is a model. Mine does not. Does not. And then um, does it, in that formula of whatever, maintaining, overreaching, does it count steps like mileage? Um, like, is that in that formula? Cause that'd be cool if it was. Yes. And this is outlined on the Garmin website, but they, they, kind of come up with it all together. So if someone is doing mostly speed work for like a fast 5k, it will almost always say you're unproductive. So Garmin, I feel like a little bit of it is trying to predict what type of workouts Garmin subscribes to, or now there's a, you, you go to start a run and it says, this is what I suggest for you to do today, but I've never told Garmin what my training goal is. So it's sort of something to, you can make it work for you if you 
give Garmin some information, but um, I prefer to say, here's what it goes off of. And then maybe that word in training status isn't what you plan your workouts on. But if your resting heart rate's 91 and you slept four hours last night and you've had three ounces of water today, then I sort of give them that that like smorgasbord of what to pay attention to instead of just that metric of your body battery is at 80 when you wake up. Great. Or it says, I don't know, you're maintaining or peaking in your run. I, I get that. That makes some sense. So what do you, what do you give to your runner then? Like we know that runners aren't going to take days off per se. If they're, if they have a run scheduled, they're going to do something right for whether it's a mental thing or a training thing, or just yeah. need that stress relief. They're going for the run. Yeah. Um, what, you know, do you say, Hey, don't run do some kind of cross training or do you volume them down? Like what's, what are some of the recommendations you make to when it, somebody is in that kind of heart rates, resting heart rates coming up and they're starting to feel yeah. fatigued? Like what are some of the adjustments you make? Yeah. I like to start with as little modification as possible because I think coming in to see me for the first time, then I'm like, your training plan is terrible. It's hard to gain trust that way. Mm -hmm. So I, I come in gently with a, here are all the variables that we're going to pay attention to while we're working together. And let's see if we can modify everything but your running training plan. And then if that's not working, they can help me get to that point of let's modify either intensity, weekly volume, frequency, weekly running like how many runs per week you're doing, um, total distance within a run. But, um, usually if someone's not recovering well, or we've been doing some things for two weeks and I haven't had a significant change in either symptom intensity within a run or symptom intensity throughout the week, then I start having that conversation of we've got to change something. So usually I change intensity or terrain first. If someone's doing, two speed workouts a week. Um, we discuss how harder is going to be more aggressive and faster efforts are going to challenge muscle a little bit more. So let's cut back intensity and see how you respond. If someone's got a timeline, like if someone comes in with a super irritated hip with some nerve symptoms and they've got a marathon in five weeks, I will be a little bit more aggressive because you've got to settle it as quick as possible. If we kind of dance around it and I'm worried about, Oh, I don't want you to be sad that you can't run. No, we've got to get this under control now. Um, so I am that sort of first week, uh, give me a week and let's see if we can get this under control. And then you still have a month here. And then that conversation of you don't lose fitness or you don't lose endurance in a week, but your hip can shut you down if we don't handle this now. Um, so it really depends on where they are in a training cycle or where they are in a mental state. If someone's really stressed in life and running is their thing and I take that away from them and then they're going to have a mental breakdown. I mean, I got to respect the role that running has. So there is a, you step back and see what does running mean or what does this training mean to them? And I, I have them do the most that I believe that they can safely progress with. Yeah. And I'm open about that too. It's sort of like, I'm going to work with you as long as it's, it, it's funny to say this out loud because as long as I'm asking the right questions and people are honest about how they're doing, you can really be super like aggressive with running recovery. But so often people have that false sense of fitness, that false sense of 
easy versus hard. So I feel like it's a little bit of a psychology discussion. Yeah. So I studied psychology in college. So when someone comes in and they're like, Oh, it's, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not working that hard or no, I'm going on easy runs. And then you kind of dive into, have you looked at really how are you sleeping well through the night or when you get done with a run, what are you feeling like? How quickly after are you fueling? There's, you can get a lot of information about, wait, you haven't felt good for three months. We've got some, some backtracking to do. So asking the right questions and getting them to be super honest. A lot of, a lot of really cool points in there. Um, I think the one that, that hit me the most was you you said something about the, the mental state of how important the role running is. And I had a client somewhat recently who had, it was, you know, different conversation, but the guy had, um, the gentleman had back pain and he was a bowler. Uh, he was, he was older, uh, 60s, late 60s, something like that. And the doctor told him, you have to stop bowling because it's bad for your back. Bowling was his thing, right? Like that's what he did. And, yeah. and so to just take that away, I, I mean, <laughs> A, there's no guarantee that's curing his back pain. Uh, and, and then B, it just, ah, uh, man, like the things you took, the social aspects of that, the, the stress relief of that, the getting out of your house aspect. Of, like, I think if you get, if you're really narrow-minded and you're just looking at the activity as, okay, it's running, maybe, and you're not a runner, maybe you can say, oh, it's not that important. Just stop running. But when it is part of your core identity of, of who you are and what you do, that's a big ask. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and how do you, uh, I don't know, like maybe you've seen it a thousand times or something. I don't know, but how do you have the right to say that to somebody like with, with certainty that this is going to work? Yeah. Or without seeing it. Yeah. So, so often there is a conversation of this hurts, so don't do it. Well, what if I'm doing it in a way that can be modified so it feels better? Right. Or how do you know what set it off that now it hurts all the time? So I like it because I get, we get to kind of look back at, at mm-hmm. the past month of someone's life and help them figure out like that breaking point. And we get to be the ones. That's why I went into physical therapy. Um, I, I wanted to be in sports medicine, but I loved that physical therapists get to walk through it with people. So sure, you might have just gotten bad news and a doctor told you he suspects or she su- suspects a meniscus tear, but you're tolerating this and this and this. You're not your diagnosis. So it's we get to decide and help you see what you're capable of, not just what you can't do. So picking it up what, that's sort of where like my philosophy comes in. I want to start out and get to seeing what you can tolerate as soon as possible. And as long as we correctly identify what you're tolerating, we can go up from there. But if we never get to that point where you're tolerating it, I might be overreaching and asking you to do too much because you're not really telling me it's too much or you're saying, ah, no, my pain's one to two out of 10 every run. I'm great. So it's such a trust game. <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, with the runners that I work with, that's always been a struggle because I feel like distance runners, especially like your, your ultra endurance kind of people, the mental state that you have to go to, to run and push through pain. Like that's yeah. part of what makes them successful. Yep. So they're so good at just going, yeah, that's all right. Like, yeah. All right, but what's that mean? You know, and, and how do you delineate, how do you delineate 
all right, you just you're running 20 plus miles and stuff's gonna get achy and pinchy versus mm-hmm. this is bad. We need to back <laughs> it down. Like what's the yeah. conversation? Um, what are you telling your your clients? Yeah. Uh usually it is a discussion of quality or location or so say a, an example, medial tibial stress, shin splints. It happens all the time. It's something that's super common and accepted and people just deal with it all the time. It's not normal. Runners, come see one of us if you have shin uh, <laughs> splint issues. But um, describing the difference in quality, location, and intensity. And if I'm trying to, okay, I think this is muscular and we're going to be able to handle this. Here are a couple of things you can work on. But having the conversation about what would be a red flag so that if they feel it within a run, they're like having me on their shoulder and saying, wait, if I push through this specific pain, then I should be worried about bony stress or, oh, this is nerve pain. This is not going to get better if I continue moving. So I almost just put it in their hands of saying, if it feels burning numbness and tingling and you keep going and that's worsening, it could take longer to feel better down the road. Um, or if all of a sudden it's no longer like a crampy tightness in your gastroc and it feels like every step you're taking, it's, you're taking, it's hurting along the mid shaft of your tibia and pointing and feeling and having them kind of understand the difference in location. That's what I've found to be the most successful numbers. Um, most of the runners that I treat have no idea what number. So yeah, I say three or, or three out of 10 or less for three runs in a row and you get, you got to take care of it. It's not, it, you're not managing it. If you have three out of 10 pain that gets kind of worse while you're running for three runs in a row. So I think helping them see what I'm worried about, or I'm sort of like a, I'm going to watch you run. And if you're getting limpy, so if pain is sharp, burning, numbness, tingling, or you're limping and explaining why that would be harmful long-term helps people a little bit better than just pain intensity. Yeah. I have seen the pain intensity thing and, and I've used it at times, right? Like, but at some level you just got to be like, look, if it feels like it's terrible, then yes. bail out, right? Like, yeah. Or if live, live to fight the next run, you know? Yeah. If you're questioning, is this bad enough for me to stop? Err on the side of caution, walk it out, stretch it out, do a couple of different movements to, to change where your tension is felt. And if it feels better, great, get back to it. But if it's getting worse with your run and you're halfway through, we're going to have a lot more junk to deal with, with that three miles of excruciating compensated running pattern than you would if we would have just said, "Eh, I got to take it easy. And it's a tricky conversation. (laughs) It's a tricky conversation because you don't want to induce fear either, right? Like I don't want you to be afraid to run or or afraid to do whatever your activity. So like it's a, um, cause that can be just problematic, but. I've had people with radiculopathies that can barely pick up their foot and they're still working out. And you're like, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. like this, we need to, we need to look at this. So, uh, I love, I like your rules there. The numbness, tingling, limpy gate. Um, I think that's, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, I mean, is there anything else specific to runners? Uh, again, I know, I know it's a, a, a mindset to push through things. Is there anything specific to runners that you wish every runner knew? Like, Hey, if this, whatever, Uh, or is there something like 
maintenance wise that you just see all the time that man, if we could just address this issue, it would be fantastic. Uh, uh, motor control of the feet. Interesting. So many runners have no ability to even like wiggle their toes or is that a shoe thing or a volume thing? Oh, that's a great, that's like the chicken or the egg. Yeah. I wonder which one you can argue. Um, Mm -hmm. so many shoes, um, work shoes or lifestyle going out shoes, they scrunch the toes and then they get into running shoes that have either carbon fiber or their stability shoe. And they've got a lot of support. Um, so I always advocate for when you're not running, I mean, running shoes are not my first switch. Um, cadence or running gait and shoes, I'm slower to switch because everyone has been, unless someone's like a seasoned runner and, and has no idea what switched, I didn't change volume, I didn't change intensity, then I'll consider, you know, what's happening in gait and what's happening in shoes. But if someone's sort of been doing the thing um, kind of newly and we have everything else to adjust, then shoes and gait are my last thing to change. So I think um, shoes being too tight in the toe box or shoes being tied too tight or no time outside of shoes. So sometimes running, they run and then they get like kind of a plantar fasciitis irritation and they feel better in supportive sandals. So I'm just going to wear sandals around my house and then their foot intrinsics don't have to do anything. So exposure to even bare feet in grass or bare feet on carpet, maybe you've got, you know, your feet don't feel great on, on hard surfaces, but you've got to use that to have a firm foundation to even propel forward. So my like new favorite party trick to show people is like, can you lift your big toe in isolation? And yeah. we should have a poll, like have a poll pop up. If you're a runner, can you lift your big toe? I went down that rabbit hole a while ago and now I wear um, Lem's shoes with the wide toe box. And, Cause yeah. I, I feel like I would do all this toe mobility and be like, Oh look, I can do the, you know, I can do the foot things. And then I'd wear shoes for 24 hours or whatever a day. And I'd come home and like my feet would be stuck again. And I'm like, yes. well, it was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I switched to that, uh, mm-hmm. the wide toe box soft shoe. And, and it, it seems to yeah. have kind of dealt with that problem. Um, Oh, cadence. You brought it up. Uh, Hot cadence. <laughs> I, so I've read a little bit about cadence in runners and mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense to me. Tell us about <laughs> cadence and why, yes. why you're watching it and what runners should uh, think about. Yeah. Something about so, low, the slower, the uh, less foot strikes, more injuries, kind of an idea, right? If yes. your cadence is slower, more, more injuries. Yeah. Um, so what's the theory? Steps per minute. Yep. Um, there are common findings that when you have an issue, increasing your cadence is a, a common first line of defense. So a lot of people take huge strides, a heel strike, they reach out in front of them. So if you shorten your stride and increase your cadence, that's been helpful. So I like having people around 175, that there's a range. And mm-hmm. there are height differences and, and there are different ways of, of attacking that. But generally speaking, so, if you're going for an easy run, 175, and if you're above or below, and we look at your specific situation, okay. then I can talk to you about why, say you're at 140 and you're of average height, five, six, and you're taking a huge step and you're having a chronic hammy issue it makes sense biomechanically you shorten it up you quick you make it quick and you control in the lateral plane to make you efficient forward you're putting less stress on those structures that are irritated how does speed factor in 
speed meaning like, like pace? Yeah, if you're faster, you're going to have a larger stride length, more than likely. Yes. Um, how do I mean? How does that play? I so faster, like, higher. I pace. guess if you're if you compared cadence of elite runners, yes, that are running sub six miles, yeah, to somebody that's running a ten minute mile, yeah. What I mean, what are we going to see? I would I would say you'd you'd see difference in stride length. But so you think cadence the cadence would be the still, same? Yeah. The cool thing about Strava is you can see a lot of metrics. To, yeah, um, I, I got to look into that. runs and um, professional athletes. So it's definitely more, more consistent, more within that range of ideal than you'd expect. Really? So, the, the fast? So, so even super fast athletes, they're still around that that range. sort of 170, 175 steps per minute. That's interesting. They're just, they're just that much more efficient with their stride length yeah. and force. A lot of knee drive and, and a lot of, of yeah, hip extension. So they just have these more gazelle-like strides then. So I like looking at the videos of 175 steps per minute. So you've got like a metronome that's beating at that 175, but you see a 930 mile, you see an 830 mile, you see a 530 mile and mm-hmm. looking at those different mechanics. And I think that's really fun to investigate. You can you can kind of reason with what's happening in each, but that's what makes treating running so dynamic. A lot of people are like, oh, well, it's running. But oh, if you're treating a sub-15-minute 5K athlete versus someone who's crushing it doing a 45-minute 5K, you have two worlds away individuals. Right. So when you try to change somebody's cadence, um, what are some of the things that you're cueing or is it a, is it a running form issue a lot of the times? Like, what are you seeing there? Cause um, I, I, that's just something I haven't done much of. Yeah. Quick discussion of where your foot's landing, mm-hmm. um, discussion of, do you have single instability statically? Um, it is more of a, a gentle suggestion at first because it's going to be a new stimulus. So anytime I'm saying, let's try and change your cadence. If I were to have you do your whole weekly volume and you're changing your cadence, it's like a bigger risk for stress reaction because we're loading those um, muscles, joints, bones, everything. So I I say the same thing for anytime we're making a change, shoes, cadence, running form, think of it as like a brand new, something brand new. Like you would never just start your whole week start your whole training program with a fresh pair of kicks or you shouldn't because you got to kind of work them into it and break them in and, and adjust it. So my conversation is usually if you've got a shorter run during your week, everyone has like a shortish day, take that day and let that be uh, so say you've got a three mile run, work on it for a mile mm-hmm. first week, see how it feels, see how your muscles respond. What do you notice? And then revisit it. But sprinkle it in almost like you're starting running over again. So I would never change shoes unless it's an emergency. Um, I would never change shoes, cadence or gait in season because you've, you've been rolling. And unless you've got a very flexible willingness to change, it's, it's just not a good time. Right. Um, how do I do it? So usually a conversation about foot strike or uh, mm-hmm. an image, like 
take videos of them either running outside where they run or on a treadmill, have a family member bring in. So I'll ask for videos because I don't have a treadmill in my clinic. So I'll say, okay, um, you're going to go do five miles easy on the treadmill. I want 45 seconds from like the back. I want 45 seconds from the side Mm -hmm. and don't let it be fresh and kind of like forget it's happening. So if you can have a family member or friend kind of sneak attack you, so it's you're, you're in the groove, you're rolling. That's the form I want to see. But suggestions are like Apple music. You can go based on cadence. You can say like 170 beats per minute radio. And there's, different genres of you kind of dance to the beat that's that's approachable and kind of fun but i I can't even do that at aerobic like aerobic fitness kind of stuff (laughs) let alone at that pace yeah another one is play with it so shorter quicker just feeling shorter quicker it's a lot easier to get faster than you think so a lot of times I see runners start in like 145, 150, and they're taking these huge strides. And I talk about, you want your foot to, to hit underneath you. So if you're trying to propel and you're getting your heel way out in front of you and then doing like, even like a far feet bridge, I'm like, does that feel powerful? Or like if you can get underneath you and do like a kind of drive drill, do that's, you get that hip extension and you feel it. So helping them understand not to reach out in front of them and heel strike. That's another quick, okay, you're not wasting that time with your foot so far out. So getting underneath you and driving behind. I feel like, so um, I spent several years doing like speed training and I feel like that like sprinting kind of stuff. I feel like that's easier to do like that foot pull back, strike behind you, strike under you kind of thing. That's easy to do when you're running fast. When you're doing nine, 10 ish minute miles, I feel like it's hard enough to create the lean you need to get that turnover you want. What are, um, this is just a personal question. What are some strategies that you use for your slower paced runners to get that feeling of striking behind? Um, uh, especially if they're doing some kind of four foot posy style run. Yeah. I like to do body mechanics awareness. So if there is a static single limb hinge or a um, kind of runner's lunge clamshell, like feeling that gentle tilt so that when you're, when you're leaning, you have that sort of parallel line between where your, your tibia is and where your trunk is. So having them feel a little bit of that kind of like athletic forward tilt statically you're talking like a hip hinge like a single yeah resisted not even in running but having them feel that load just still controlling it at hip knee ankle foot and then can you feel that control when you're hopping when you're bounding when you're like absorbing force from like a box jump and then once they get it statically, it's not a perfect translation, but at least there's some sort of awareness mm-hmm. to if things do get wonky or awry in a run, they even have a, a, a comparison. A lot of times if there is a foot issue or an ankle issue, and all of a sudden you give them a little bit of control of when you splay your toes and kind of activate that midfoot and propel, oh, I'm not collapsing into pronation valgus at the knee so it's it's a lot better to slow it down before Mm -hmm. you apply it to running right 
Yeah. And if you don't know what's happening, you can't really hardly say, oh, I'm inefficient with running. So cadence is a quick, I don't want to say a quick fix, but it's a great first line of defense for someone who has um, inefficient mechanics, either overreaching or losing a lot of energy side to side or chronic. It sounds like to me, you're saying you can fix cadence and without doing much else, that's going to help a percentage of people. Yeah. Like without doing any other strength work, technique stuff, whatever, that's going to, mm-hmm. that's going to be a percentage of the time. Yep. And then when you actually have the time to make changes in technique and, and technique or form and whatever else, shoe adjustments, that's off season, winter, whatever. Yep. That kind of the general. Yeah. General rule of thumb for sure. Yeah. I'm very intrigued by that. I've, I've seen the cadence stuff for a while now. And, and honestly, I've just been too lazy to do the homework on uh, exactly. <laughs> stuff. I, yeah. I'd be interested to see some of the videos that you referenced and uh, maybe when we post this thing, we can link them so that anybody listening to it wants to see them, they can uh, click over to them as well. But um, you know, I, I, again, coming from more of the, from a coaching standpoint, at least it's always been speed. And, and I've always thought that those things, Hey, it's hard to learn like those sprinting mechanics, especially if you, you haven't done that before. Um, whether that's a, and I, I toy with this, is it, is it a flexibility game? Like we're so stuck in posterior tilt and yeah. we're not used to pulling back through the hamstring and that kind of stuff. Is it a flexibility game? We lose that ability to kind of separate the pelvis to get the stride that we need, or is it um, a learning thing? I, whatever. That's, that's a question. another question. Yeah. That's a conversation for another day, but um even in young kids, right? Like it's interesting how not great some of their running mechanics are like just, it's, I don't know. I'm intrigued by the so resilient the 10 year olds that like <laughs> what's happening here. Um, and so why, many limbs moving in different directions, <laughs> but I'm watching a two year old, a three year old at, you know, my daughter's birthday the other day sprinting and you're like, well, that's efficient. Like you're seeing this nice turnover. You're seeing the, the stride. You're like, this kid's flying. Yeah. Um, where, where does it go wrong and what happens in development? But that's, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother conversation. And yes, I think, um, to think that we as rehab professionals have all the answers to fix things is also kind of silly. Like the resilient point that you just made, um, one of my favorite things is when Zion Williamson, the basketball guy, he has a meniscectomy and, um, oh, they're teaching him how to jump. This dude jumps through the roof. Like who's, who's the guy that's going to teach Zion Williamson how to jump? (laughs) (laughs) Like, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, so I don't know. Sometimes I think we, we think we, yeah, overcomplicated or think we know more than we, than maybe we do Mm because that dude has learned how to jump. Yes. Yeah. And also along that same vein, um, we can think that we have a solution, but if we try that strategy and their symptom doesn't change, what value does it have? So you have to have a couple of different approaches because to be honest, most of the metrics that we're tracking, most, a lot of people are sort of like, eh, that's a lot to think about. So if you can give it an application that makes it easier to digest or, or kind of easy to get to that automated feeling, then you're going to have more buy-in, you're going to have more compliance, and then people can start feeling difference. Um, if you don't explain what's changing, then people just want to walk out the front door in their tennis shoes and have their 30 minutes of mind free. So it goes back to that. You've got to know the athlete. 
Yeah. And if you're going to overcomplicate it, why, why would I want to go through all this fuss? I just want to run. So it's, it's really important to see what you're changing and to make it something that they still enjoy what they're doing. You mm-hmm. want to keep it simple and have like four suggestions and say, let me know which works for you and go from there. Yeah. Somehow you got to figure out how to put it in their hands. Otherwise mm-hmm. either they, they don't do it at all or, or again, they get frustrated and then they just give up on, on yep. whatever they're doing. So because the one hour so that you a week. Yeah. It's not, you're training 15 hours without me. So there's all of that data that you're getting that if I don't help you interpret it, we could be missing the boat completely. Right. And I think if you can ever get the client to feel it, understand it, make their own adjustments, then, then you've won because yes. now they're <laughs> like in control. My mission in life. <laughs> they're in control. Um, they're not relying on you to do something. And, and that's, that's tough, a tough little bat, a tough little game, like a, another line that you got to kind of, kind of uh, nudge. So, all right, well, this was fun. Is there anything else that uh, kind of one last tip you want to share before we wrap it up? No. Got it covered it. Take it to the grave that we've got three runs that are greater than three out of 10 pain. Something is not right. Don't just feel like, eh, I'm a distance runner. It's normal. You have so many things that can help you. It's not, not normal. And if you take care of it now, not three months from now, when you've been running different without really feeling different, take care of it almost before you really truly accept that it's an issue. Yeah. I hope that, I think there is also a factor of that, not wanting to get things treated that are, I don't want to go to see somebody that's going to tell me to stop doing it for three weeks. Yep. And and I think understanding that there are rehab professionals out there that are going to try to help you continue to do it Yes. versus say, oh, that's stupid. Don't do it. I think that's, yep. that's half the battle. Um, so hopefully more people will kind of pick up on that trend and, and uh, kind of utilize the, the resources available to them. So that's awesome. Yes. So we've been talking for a while now. We filmed a podcast or a, a kind of a series before this. We've been going at it. This was great. Thanks for having all this conversation with me and talking about all kinds of cool things from the Fine. manual therapy stuff that we talked about earlier to, to the running stuff now. It's been awesome. Um, where can people find you and get more cool information? Yes. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at physio330. My website is just www.physio330.com or I'm Bethany Searle also on Instagram. Reach out if you have any questions, concerns, or want me to help you out. All right, guys. Check out Bethany. She's awesome. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thank you for enjoying the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. Hope you're able to pick up a few things to help you live and move better. We'd really appreciate a like, share, review, or follow in order to help us continue to grow this podcast and help more people like you looking to feel and move better as active adults. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.